Welcome to fucking pod. <laughs> Welcome back into the Chris Mathis podcast. I'm your host, Chris Mathis, joined by my co-host, Spencer Mathis. That did not go as planned. Uh, maybe for me, but I guess for Spencer it went well. But we have an update for you guys uh, talking about our craziest injuries, most unfortunate injuries from last week's podcast. And to update, Spencer's fall was 13 feet off a deck. And that's where his tooth went through his lip. It was 13 feet. I think I said maybe 9 or 10 feet. And then uh, with my injury where I got hit in the you-know-where with a basketball, I actually went to the ER because they gave me some Dilaudid. Turns out I felt great from the Dilaudid, but it turns out it broke me out in red rash, and I felt I, I looked crazy. I looked like a leopard, red leopard. Uh, felt great after the injury, but I went to the ER. So two whammies right there for my injury. Spencer fell 13 feet. And that's the lead-in for the Chris Mathis podcast this week. Big-time show talking some all-star game. NFL training camp really getting underway this week as well. The fallout of Marvel. Uh, Also, some big news that we'll reveal here on the show later in the show. And we'll talk about Manti Teo. That's right, 2012 uh, Notre Dame superstar linebacker. We'll get into that as well. But first and foremost, big-time all-star game from Major League Baseball last week. 3-2 to the final score. Uh, it was a good game, in my opinion. I thought it was cool to see our guy Shane McClanahan start the game on the mound. Um, I think he was very excited to be there, and I don't think he was situated into that moment. I don't think that he was he was locked in, but I think that he was more nervous than anything. And he got hit around a little bit. I guess he gave up four hits, two runs, two earned runs, a home run, struck out one, and one inning pitched. But all in all, I thought it was a pretty good All Star game. Um, and we'll get into what I liked and disliked, but Spence, generally speaking, what'd you like, or did you like that all-star game? What'd you think about the MLB all-star game in which a three to two final score, a close one? Yeah, I thought the MLB all-star game was really good. Uh, Shane McClanahan, like you said, did get roughed up a little bit. And I think that's because in the all-star game, uh, a guy that's throwing a hundred like McClanahan on a regular basis, they're all taking probably four to five miles per hour off their fastball. And he was getting roughed up those first three batters that he faced were on board and two RBIs came against him. The AL still won it though. Thanks to Stanton. He had a really big game for the American league. Also the home run derby was great. I like the closeness of the all-star game. And that just shows you that the MLB all-star game, like we said in last week's show is better than any other all-star game in sports. It's better than, than the NHL. The NHL's are, uh, their all-star game is like, a 10, 10 to 12 game. You've got the NFL Pro Bowl. That one's like 45 to 30 something. The, the games are too wild. You've got the NBA. They're scoring like 150 points and not even playing how a regular NBA game is played. So the MLB All-Star game is the most game realistic. And that's why it probably has the best ratings for any All-Star game because a lot of fans do tune into the All-Star game. They tune into the home run derby, all the events that are going on around it. I do wish the MLB would add something like the NFL has with their Pro Bowl. I think they need to have a little bit more than just the home run derby to go along with the All-Star game. But then again, their break is only less than a week, so it does make sense. But the All-Star game was very good this year. Yeah, no doubt. I thought the mic'd up situation was cool. Uh, Some people argued on that and said that, you know, baseball players should be mic'd up while they're playing the game. But to see Shohei Otani, who is mic'd up before the game, and he has a translator – they asked him a question, what are you most excited for? And he said, first pitch, first swing. And he went out there and swung and got a base hit right away off, uh, I believe it was Clayton Kershaw, right off the get-go. Um, and that was cool to see. And then you saw Alec Manoa 
starting pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. He was mic'd up, too, uh, throughout his entire uh, performance on the mound. He was talking to a guy by the name of John Smoltz. If you guys know baseball, you know him, and he's a phenomenal pitcher. Uh, had a great career there in Atlanta. For all of you Braves fans, uh, the Pew family, uh, obviously you guys were loving every bit of that, but Alec Manoa was talking to uh, John Smoltz up in the booth, and John Smoltz was giving him some, you know, hey, here's what you should throw next. He said a, a backdoor slider and hit the batter, and Manoa just laughed it off and was having fun with it, and I thought that was really cool. And um, I think he fanned three batters. I think Manoa fanned the side. He might have given up a hit or, and also walked a batter off a hit-by-pitch, but he did fan the side, and he was amped up, and he was saying that was the greatest uh, bullpen call and Major League Baseball history. I thought the mic up, mic'd up aspect was pretty cool. That was something that I liked from it. Um, but I, I didn't like to see the ratings. The ratings were at an all-time low. The viewership was at an all-time low this year for any MLB All-Star game of all time. It was a close game, as you said, 3-2. to two. AL did prevail, uh, thankfully. Obviously, with us being Rays fans, we wanted that to happen. Even after a shaky start for Shane McClanahan, he kind of got shelled there. Uh, there to start off the all-star game but to see those ratings as low as they were all-time low a bit shocked by that what would you say about that Spence yeah well I mean the like I like we said the MLB all-star game is great but MLB is a dying breed at the moment with all these oldies trying to take away from the funness of the game for these young guys like Fernando Tatis uh, Ronald Acuna and other guys along those likes but you can see why they didn't have that big of a rating because fans have just stopped caring as much about baseball as you would like as an MLB fan. I think NFL's top, then you got NBA. I don't know what falls. I guess MLB would be third, but it's not really America's pastime anymore. But the thing that I like to see in the All-Star game is I like to see the the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher that haven't practiced for an entire season, and the catcher's still framing these pitches perfectly. Like That's why these guys are in the All-Star game. I think the catchers deserve a lot more credit uh, having to work with brand new pitchers and they're going with like six or seven different pitchers in an all-star game. I think that's something that's fun to see every single year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can see why they didn't have their best ratings. I thought it was a very good game and I was definitely tuned in. Yeah. I, I stuck with it through about five and two thirds innings. And then I kind of uh, trailed off and yeah. got some work done, but it was cool. And that's that's much longer than you would tune into like a pro bowl where you watch like, the first two drives and you're like, wow, they are not even trying. And then you tune out. Yeah, that's a good point in terms of trying to get like a comparison of time frame. Uh, yeah, I guess five innings would be just over halftime uh, if you were to watch the Pro Bowl. And there's no way I watch it up at the Pro Bowl. As you said, at best, I might watch the first quarter. But yeah, probably two or three drives is all I'll give that because there is no defense. There's no physicality now in the Pro Bowl. So it's not really fun to watch. All-Star game is the most realistic. The MLB All-Star game is by far the most realistic. Um, and again, kind of sad to see those numbers so low because I thought it was cool. I thought the following on Twitter was there. Uh, people are tweeting left and right. Big, you know, sports media members tweeting. And then you had guys like us that were tweeting uh, what was going on. And uh, I think I think even just after that game or maybe the day after that All-Star game, you tweeted the Tampa Bay Rays would win the World Series in 2022. Uh, why'd you tweet that out out of random, and what sparked that idea? You know, I was just sitting there in my room, and I was contemplating. I was like, hmm, who's going to win the 2022 World Series? And I thought to myself, the only team that I could see is the Tampa Bay Rays because I am a very biased fan. 
And at the moment that I tweeted that, there were trade rumors for Juan Soto and his name was being attached to the race. So I was hoping to jump the gun and get ahead of that one before everyone else did. Tweet's still up though. So if we win the World Series, I'm pinning it. Yeah, no doubt. And if you don't win the World Series, old takes exposed will quote you and uh, you'll go viral for that tweet. But all in all, I thought a great all-star week. I really enjoyed the uh, home run derby, even though it seemed like uh, Albert Pujols kind of got a a lucky break there against Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, it looked like Kyle Schwarber just really wasn't trying in this home run derby. I mean, if you're getting beat by Albert Pujols, I, as a guy that's hit 29 home runs in himself, with that's Kyle Schwarber. He's hit 29 home runs before the All-Star break. I think he hit like 13 in round one against Pujols, which is insane. Pujols had six coming into the game. And then the first game back from the, from the uh, All-Star break, Schwarber hits a home run in a real game. So... I think he was taking a little bit off. I didn't think he wanted to mess up his swing that much. Uh, again, his it, it comes down a lot to pitching. He had the best all-star game pitcher uh, for the for the home run derby. I think a lot of people that have won it over the last couple of years have used this guy. I forgot his name. He used to pitch in the MLB, but he's a legend, and you can't really blame him. So Schwarber, I think he really was taking a little bit off. And I mean, it, it's much it's much cooler to see Pujols win it, to be honest, but. He didn't end up winning the whole thing, of course. Yeah, no, and I was a little bit surprised there that uh, Soto won it. I thought maybe, I forget who I predicted would win that, but I didn't have Soto. I had Soto in the finale, uh, but either way, disappointed in Corey Seager, too. I thought that he was uh, yeah. underwhelming, too, playing at his old former stadium there, Dodger Stadium. He had the most home runs at that part coming into the All-Star game, into that home run derby. I think he had 61 or 62 uh, career home runs there at Dodger Stadium, and he went out and he laid a goose egg uh, per se in terms of uh, getting knocked out in the first round of that home run derby. But yeah, I think you had a polar bear Pete winning that one. For three that's right. Yep, I had Pete Alonso winning it all, and he I don't know what his deal was, but uh, there in the semifinal round, he just kind of looked like he ran out of gas. Yeah, I mean they're swinging for the fences over and over again. You can't really blame them. They get that little timeout where they get like 50 seconds off and then right back to it for two minutes. So, I mean, it would be very difficult to win a home run derby. And the guy that I didn't expect to win it at all and Juan Soto won the whole thing. So it was it was a pretty good home run derby this year. No doubt. And I'm excited for what's to come here this week with NFL training camp getting underway. Uh, several storylines to look out for. A couple that excite me, Broncos first year, Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson uh, and his new opportunity there in Denver. I think it'll be really cool to see what he can do with what I thought was a pretty good team last year, considering they had Drew Locke at quarterback. I think uh, the Denver Broncos, outside of that division, a very difficult division there in the AFC, uh, they're a real deal contender. However, I do think that they probably sit there in fourth place in the AFC West. Yeah, well, I mean, you go back to last season and you saw the Broncos' defense. They're very good. They've got Justin Simmons at safety, Patrick Sertain the second at cornerback. They've got a pretty good pass rush. Of course, they, they don't have Von Miller anymore. They traded him away nearly two seasons ago somehow. But they've got a stellar defense. They've got a good receiving core. They've got a pretty decent tight end. I think they traded away Noah Fant in that trade that they shipped off Drew Locke to Seattle. But who did they pick up? Who did they pick up from Seattle as their tight end? Who no offense. Did they pick up no offense? Oh, no, they, no, no, no. They, they traded. traded. Yeah. Yeah. They traded fan. Who was that? Tight I don't end? know who their tight end is this coming up season, but they've got a good backfield in Javante Williams. They've still got Melvin Gordon back there. 
You've got Russell Wilson. The big problem with the Broncos is their offensive line, and that's been a problem. And, and a guy like Russell Wilson, who's five foot ten, he's a guy that has to get out of the pocket. So we'll see how he does. I mean, he's not very good when he gets out of his spot. You go back and watch the tape, you can see that. He's got a great deep ball. If he can take a little bit of protection, he's going to need it in this Broncos offense because they're going to have him rolling out in that West Coast scheme. It's going to be fun to watch Russell Wilson. He's got a good defense to back him up, though, which he didn't have in Seattle. This offensive line is not great, but it's still an upgrade from Seattle. You'll see whoever starts for Seattle next season, they're not going to they're, they're going to have a pretty fucking difficult time. But Russell Wilson with the Broncos, I think this is probably one of the most exciting quarterback moves that we've seen in the in the past couple of years. And you look at the division, though, that's the thing that's really going to hurt them. I don't think the Chiefs are going to be as good next year, but I still have them winning their division. I've got the Chargers ahead of the Broncos, unless the Chargers defense doesn't pick it up. I mean, but they signed Khalil Mack to put by Joey Bosa. I mean, I can't see the Broncos being in the top two of this division, even with the addition of Russell Wilson. I just, I, I do believe Russell Wilson's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. He's still probably top 10, but he's not the same quarterback that he used to be. I, I mean, You've seen over the last two seasons, he's been like Kyler Murray, a good start to the season and then a, a bad finish and Seattle's out of it. Yeah, no doubt. Also, Derek Carr has the new weapon and Devontae Adams there in the AFC West as well. So, uh, again, I'm not a big uh, Oakland, not Oakland, Las Vegas um, believer in what they can do. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be a, a true threat. I don't know. I just don't find that Derek Carr is that quarterback that can push you to that Super Bowl, to the promised land. I think he gets you to the playoffs more times than not, but he's not that guy that uh, I feel is going to be able to push his team. And obviously, Russell Wilson, he's in his first year with a new offense in Denver, but he's been there. He's done that. He's been to the playoffs several times, especially back in the day, what, 2012, 13, 14, 15, yep. with the Legion of Boom. So this guy knows what it takes. Derek Carr, he just made his first playoff appearance last season in 2021. Yeah, but the addition of Devontae Adams is an absolute that's – a, that's a game changer for the Raiders. I mean, to pair him with Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, you've got Josh Jacobs in the backfield. Their defense isn't the best, though, and that's going to be difficult. Carr's going to have to play nearly perfect this season, but Devontae Adams is going to be great this season. I think he's going to be the most targeted receiver in the NFL. Josh Jacobs, he's had injury concerns over the last – over the last – two or three seasons that he's been in the league. Mm -hmm. He's a great running back when he's healthy. He's averaging like five point something yards per carry, which is really good. It's above average. And then you've got a great tight end, probably top three in the league in, in a wall. And then you've got Hunter Renfro, probably the best slot receiver in the league all around. So they've got a great offense. They, I mean, Darren Waller, but they've got a great offense. It's just going to come down to their defense. They've also got a good offensive line, which they've had for years, even with replacements over and over again. The only thing is their defense isn't great, and John Gruden building that team added a lot of veteran presence that has kind of gone by the wayside at this point. They, they've all aged out of their careers. Yeah, it reminds me of the Buccaneers. Uh, in 2007, 2008, John Gruden's last couple of years there in Tampa. And, yeah, the, the team was really done for. He left them out to dry, hung them out to dry, and then they had to bring in Raheem Morris. And then we went through that cycle of head coaches, and none of them panned out until Bruce Arians came to town. And things changed. And now we have a new head coach in Todd Bowles, who was the head coach of the New York Jets years ago. And uh, he still has to prove himself, in my opinion, as a head coach. It'll be cool to see that headline and how those guys in Tampa will react to a new head coach in Todd Bowles. But also 
Open quarterback competition in Carolina. That one kind of excites me as well. You've got Sam Darnold, who comes back for his second year there with the Panthers. And then first-year Panther quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who comes off a up-and-down career in uh, Cleveland, comes off a pretty bad shoulder injury last season. Obviously, you'd expect that uh, Sam Darnold has the leg up on uh, Baker Mayfield, knowing the system per se. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how these two quarterbacks go head-to-head. As Matt Rule said, head coach of the Panthers, it is an open competition for these two quarterbacks. Yeah, this is one of the biggest storylines of training camp going into the regular season because you have a guy in Sam Darnold who's getting paid way more than Baker Mayfield is by the by the Panthers. So he's going to have the upper edge going on into the into training camp and into the preseason. But I think Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. So we'll see if they go money or talent first because if, if they're going to go by talent, I think Baker Mayfield's your starter. But if you're going by who you're paying the most money after that franchise tag last season that the that the Panthers placed on Darnold after a 4-0 start, they're paying him a lot more money than they're paying Baker Mayfield. It's probably like a $15 million difference in the 2022 season. So that's going to be a great competition. And I've got Baker Mayfield edging out Sam Darnold uh, for the starting role in Carolina. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously, because of the talent, I think that you have to cross out the uh, expense that you're paying Sam Darnold and just – Eat that one. Hold that loss because at this point, Matt Rule entering his third year in Carolina, he's won five games in each of his first two seasons with the Panthers. He has to, he's got to, he's got to prove himself. And uh, if he wins five or less again this year, he's canned. And I think that Baker Mayfield gives you the best chance to get out of that five-game streak that you're in, five-win streak that you're in. And uh, we'll have to see if they're able to do it. Obviously, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Baker Mayfield have a great running back, and Christian McCaffrey, who will, again, be the security blanket uh, for the quarterback there, no matter if it's Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield. Question is, how healthy can Christian McCaffrey stay in this NFL system in which they give him the ball way too much? I know he is their offense, but this guy can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the field. Yeah, and the thing is, the Carolina offensive line, this has been a big talking point over the past couple of seasons. They drafted Ike Aquanu to place at left tackle, which is going to definitely help whoever they choose at starting quarterback. But the in the interior part of their offensive line is still not built, and that does not fare well for your quarterback, especially if it's Baker Mayfield who sits at five foot ten, or your running back Christian McCaffrey, who's been injured the last two seasons. He's the best running back in the league. Don't get me wrong when he's healthy, but over the last two seasons he's been injured and has, he's played like less than twelve games in two seasons. And if that offensive line doesn't pick up their play, I don't see. Christian McCaffrey going a full season but if McCaffrey stays healthy you've got DJ Moore at receiver they've got a pretty good offense and if Baker Mayfield can roll out complete his passes look for the checks down to McCaffrey if he's playing I think Carolina is a team that may be a fringe wildcard squad next season also another topic heading into the NFL training camp the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are without Rob Gronkowski this season and for me uh, that's the difference in a Super Bowl appearance and not. And I know things can change, but with the Buccaneers' schedule, it is very difficult. I think they're going to be there in the NFC Championship. I just don't know, as of right now, until the season gets underway, if I believe that this team is a true Super Bowl contender, if they can really get to that big game. But Rob Gronkowski out. Obviously, uh, Tom Brady's favorite target for the last, I guess, since 2010, when Rob Gronkowski was drafted, arguably stated that he was uh, Tom's favorite target. But Tampa had Cam Brate. They have two other rookie tight ends uh, that they drafted this year. 
that are on the roster. And then they make a move last week and they sign Kyle Rudolph, who's entering his 12th season in the NFL. He played for the Minnesota Vikings for 11 years or 10 years, one year with the New York Giants last year. 32 years old, Kyle Rudolph. What do you think about the signing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they look to somewhat replace production or help out the tight end room, the special room there in Tampa Bay, a room that the Bucs have relied on for years uh, over the last two or three seasons? Yeah, the Bucs are, are a team that runs a two-tight end set very often, and the loss of Gronkowski is huge. They drafted a guy that can block really well in the sixth round. I forgot his name. They got Kate Otten as well in the fourth round. So they have a lot of tight ends. It's going to be a, a rotating tight end room, depending on what they want to do on the offensive side of the football. I think this is a season where the Buccaneers are going to run the ball a lot more than teams expect. This is probably Tom Brady's last season. You're, you're going to want to save his arm for the playoffs. The Buccaneers are a playoff team next season, no matter what. But with all these tight ends rotating in, you've got Kyle Rudolph, you've got Cam Bray, you've got Kate Ott, and you've got the other rookie who's basically a run blocker. I think Rudolph is a, was a great tight end. Not anymore. He's not a great tight end anymore. He can block better than Cam Bray, so he will be the starter. Uh, but it's it's not going to be the same. Losing, losing Rob Gronkowski, like you said, is a huge difference maker, especially for a team that's going to be running the ball a lot more than they have been. So... The loss of Gronkowski is going to hurt a lot, and I hope Kyle Rudolph can just be a good red zone presence for Tampa Bay. That's probably what they're only going to expect out of him this next upcoming season. Bray, when he's been a starter, has been very productive. Even last season, he had how many yards? Yeah, he finished with uh, 245 yards on 30 catches last year, four touchdowns. Yeah, and he was a backup last season. Uh, Gronkowski missed a couple of games. Bray played pretty well, so... Those two together should combine for around 600 yards. I don't, I don't know. I think this is it's really going to hurt. This is going to hurt Brady a lot because he is a guy that looks for his tight end up the seam. And both of these tight ends and Rudolph and uh, Cameron Brait, they just don't have great speed. So it's going to be difficult. They're also not the tallest guys. I mean, Rudolph is tall, but he's not as fast as Gronkowski, even though Gronkowski had slowed down in the previous years. But Cameron Brait is kind of an undersized tight end without the speed. So. These are two sure-handed tight ends. You can't get you can't get wrong there, but they just don't have that getaway speed. They don't have the same run blocking ability that Gronkowski had. So it's going to be a big difference maker for a quarterback like Tom Brady, who's, who can't really be moved off his spot. He's not great under pressure because of his speed. And on top of that, the Bucks obviously with winning the uh, division last year have a very difficult season and schedule ahead. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that they get 11 to 12 wins in the regular season, yeah. but it is going to be tough and they have to stay healthy. And, and that's that's real cliche because every team has to stay healthy. But if if any of the main guys go down for the Buccaneers, I'm talking Mike Evans, Chris Godwin again, Tom Brady, the Bucs are in real trouble. Yeah, but I think this is the best Buccaneers receiving core that we've seen in forever. I mean, you've got Mike Evans, you've got Chris Godwin, you picked up Russell Gage, you've got some good – younger presence as your fourth and fifth and Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, you've got a pretty good backfield. So Brady, the only thing that we're really lacking right now is it is a starting tight end. It's going to be a competition in training camp for who gets that left guard spot with the loss of Alex Kappa to the Bengals. So, I mean, the Buccaneers defense stayed the exact same. We picked up, uh, we got a rookie defensive end, Logan Hall. You've got Vita Vea still there to just take up two offensive linemen every single play. So, the Buccaneers are in good shape, and like you said, it comes down to injuries with every single sport. The playoffs are really a crapshoot if you look at it as a whole. It really is 
whichever team is less injured is going to win. Like the Buccaneers in 2021 won the Super Bowl, or 2020 won the Super Bowl because the Chiefs' offensive line was just absolute garbage. So they, they had a lot of injuries coming in from that AFC championship game, and the Buccaneers took advantage of it because they were a fully healthy squad. So last season you saw the Buccaneers without Tristan Wirfs in that NFC divisional round versus the Rams, and that was a deciding factor. So whoever can stay the healthiest is going to win in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. It'll be fun to watch how this uh, NFL training camp plans out, and we'll keep you guys posted right here on the Chris Mathis podcast. Again, uh, talking some NFL football here. New NFL alternate helmets across the league. Carolina Panthers, Houston Texans, New York Jets, Cincinnati Bengals, Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, and the Chicago Bears all have new alternate helmets. Spence, how do you want to you want to do like a one to ten rating? How do you want to kind of talk about the new helmets here and break these down? First off, I want to mention the Buccaneers creamsicle helmets just missing from this list. I think it's absolute bull snarky that the that the Buccaneers didn't get to have their their creamsicle art, uh, alternates this season. When all these teams right here are getting alternate jerseys, you see them the Bengals uh, not on this list, but the Bengals look very good. You've got the Carolina Panthers. They've got their all-black uniforms to go along with that black helmet. The Falcons with a nice new helmet. I mean, these. I don't understand why the Buccaneers didn't get to have their creamsicles, but all of these helmets really are nice. The only one that I really can't tell a difference in is the Philadelphia Eagles, but the rest are just so they're flashy. These are some nice. These are some nice helmets. Yeah, the Eagles is a matte black, so I think that's a little okay. bit different than their other alternate. But yeah, it's a matte black. Um, Looks cool. I think that my favorite one on this list, I got to go with the Atlanta Falcons or the Cincinnati Bengals because the Bengals uniform, that icy white, Joe Burrow, Joe Burr, Snowflake, it's going to look awesome. Going to look awesome. Yeah. And I like the, I really do like the Falcons. I've got them as number one. Then I've got a tie. I like the Houston Texans and I like the Cincinnati Bengals helmets. Uh, the Panthers, just, just because their black alternate uni- uniform is so nice, I think theirs is up there. I think bottom tier is probably the New Orleans Saints. I don't. It doesn't look very much different. Uh, they added some little dots to show how many playoff losses they've suffered over the last seasons. So, <laughs> I mean, I've got I've got the Falcons winning this entire top eight here. Yeah, and then we've got one more we got to throw in and consider, and that's the Chicago Bear. Ugh, I absolutely hate this one. Looks like a pumpkin on his head. It looks it looks awful. I mean. I think if you're going to do the Bears with an orange helmet, you've got to go with the Bear logo. You can't just have the C logo mm-hmm. here. Also, the orange uniforms do not go with the orange helmet. I don't think this is it at all. It looks like Clemson, in my opinion. So I do not like this. Is the, this is bottom. This is the last one. I think yeah, the Cowboys, that's last. Yeah, the Cowboys' Thanksgiving is nice. I do love their Thanksgiving helmet, but I think that's eight on this list. And if, if, the, uh, if the Bears were on this list, they'd be number nine. I think I'd go Atlanta one, I'd go Houston two, Cincinnati three, Carolina four, Philadelphia five, Jets six, um, Saints. Or I'd go Cowboys seven, Saints eight, and then I'm going to go with the Bears at last place. Same exact Yeah, that's awful. One thing that we uh, can talk about here on the podcast that just came out early last week. Sorry, I just knocked my mic here on Chris Matthews' podcast. We've got top quarterback ratings. Tom Brady at number one heading into Madden 2023. He sits at 97 overall. Aaron Rodgers at 296. Pat Mahomes at 395 overall. Josh Allen at 92. Joe Burrow at 90 rounds out the top five. 
Dak Prescott, 89 overall. Justin Herbert, 88 overall. Russell Wilson, 87 overall, which I think is a little high on Russell Wilson. I think Lamar Jackson a little high as well, 87 overall. Matthew Stafford could be higher. I, I'd put Stafford at 8 or 9 over Russell Wilson or Lamar based off last season alone. Yeah, look, this is the best top five I've ever seen from a Madden rating coming into the season. Usually have a lot of uh, disagreements in the quarterback ratings. I mean, a lot of people are going to disagree with the Aaron Rodgers not being the first overall just because he won back-to-back -back MVPs. But you, I think Madden did a good job looking to see at the stats last season. Brady edged out Aaron Rodgers in every single statistical category besides interceptions. And that's why Brady is number one on this list. His final season, Rodgers second. I agree with that. Patrick Mahomes third, a 95 overall. Agreed with that. Josh Allen, I think he could be a little bit higher. I think he should still be number four. But I think he should be sitting at like a 94 just based off of his athleticism. Burrow, I agree with. Now, the the six, seven, eight, I do not agree with. I think Herbert's number one over Prescott. I've got Russell Wilson above Prescott as well. So uh, Lamar Jackson should be a little bit higher. I I think he should be higher. His speed alone should add a couple of ratings. And he's a pretty he's a pretty accurate quarterback when it's all said and done. He just missed a lot of games last season. He'll be my quarterback next fantasy season. Stafford. 85, 100% agree with only because if you go back and listen to our pods from the last regular season, Stafford was struggling a, a load in the uh, regular true. season. Yeah. I mean, his playoff, his playoff run was great. Cooper cup really absolutely separated Stafford winning them the playoffs. Basically. I mean, their defense was also insane with Aaron Donald leading the pack, another 99 overall season for Donald. So, Matthew Stafford at an 85, I 100% agree with. And I, I think these top 10 are correct. Just Herbert should be ahead of Prescott, and so should Russell Wilson. I think Lamar should be an 89. I think that the top five are perfect, though. Again, talking about Madden NFL, EA Sports, Madden NFL 2023 ratings here on the Chris Matthews Podcast. A little bit of a hiccup there. Uh, but, yeah, I think that if you shuffle around after the top five, maybe six, seven, eight, and, and maybe move – well, like you said, Stafford did struggle there in the uh, tail end. He just made Tampa look bad in the NFC Championship when it mattered the most. But, um, yeah, I think if you shuffle around the, the you know, six, seven, eight area and move a couple of guys around, I think that's a perfect ranking. And to see Tom Brady at number one, no bias, just to see that, you know, they didn't screw him out, just like with LeBron James not getting MVPs because he's won so many times. Madden did not screw Tom Brady out of it just because they wanted someone new to be ranked number one or – you know, put him at number two just because that Tom Brady's done it for so long. That's unfair. And Tom Brady at 97 overall is fair heading into uh, this Madden football season. Also, Spence, we want to talk about some uh, Marvel. You said you have some issue with Marvel going on. Let's talk about some Marvel, man. Yeah, I've got a huge issue with the Marvel movies over the past couple of months. Uh, you got Morbius and then you transition to Thor. Morbius, absolutely awful movie. I don't understand what they were trying to go for there. But Thor Love and Thunder could have been so good. But they did the thing again where they where they bring a bunch of children into the movie, make them have superpowers. The CGI is getting worse and worse with each coming movie. The next time we're going to see a Spider-Man movie is 2024. There's not going to be an Avengers movie till 2025. I think superhero movies in general are a dying breed over the last couple of years. The only ones of note over the over the last year were Batman, which I thought was a great movie, and Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. I thought those two movies were great, but since then, I think Marvel's Phase 4 has been absolutely awful. I think it's a dying breed. I think the CGI is getting worse. Uh, 
I don't know. It feels like they're just trying to make too many jokes in these movies. Thor, yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty cheesy. Thor, Thor, uh, what Love and Thunder? Yeah, very cheesy. It was funny, but I don't know how funny a superhero movie should be where they were trying to, you know, come out alive and save some people, you know, and kill yeah. somebody off that was doing wrong. And they're they're making some crazy jokes. And my favorite part of the entire movie was the goat, you know, the noise that goats made. But that should not be the funniest part or the best part of a superhero movie. Yeah, the screaming goat meme was from 2015, and that's in a 2022 Marvel movie. You've you've got so many jokes that just you were waiting oh, for the punchline. Yeah, you were waiting for the punchline to hit, and they just didn't. So you're wondering, is was that a joke, or is am I supposed to be laughing at this? I found myself laughing at the action scenes just based off how stupid they were. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like Marvel's just kind of. Transist- transitioning away from from the uh, teenagers and, and young adults, guys. I think they're transitioning to children. I think they're just trying to to avail to children. And I I don't know. I, I feel like the superhero movies are just losing the serious factor. Like in any of the fights throughout the entire Thor: Love and Thunder movie, I didn't I didn't think Thor was going to lose any of them throughout the entire movie. Even with the great portrayal of uh, the bad guy in this movie, I thought it was great. I thought Christian Bale did a good job, but then again, I can't even remember the bad guy's name, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I didn't know that was Christian Bale until afterwards, and I'm like, man, he killed that. He played a good role. Yeah. Um, and I think I saw a tweet talking about his role, and that's kind of how I noticed. Oh, dude, it really was Christian Bale. He killed it. I thought it was a great role from him. He, In my opinion, he was the best part of the movie. Um, he was the only serious part about the movie. He was a little yep. dark and too serious, but they were trying to save the world and stop this guy from – capturing kids and the whole movie they're making jokes yeah the opening scene pulled me in and then i was waiting for an action scene for the next hour the movie's two hours and like 10 minutes so waiting for an action scene after an hour of watching a movie you don't see the bad guy anymore anymore for an hour i mean christian bale was underutilized in this movie i think chris hemsworth is a good actor because he he can play himself as just being funny based off of no jokes which marvel has turned to I think that the worst part about the movie was the Lady Thor. I think she's a horrible actor, actress, I should say. I forgot who was Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman's usually a pretty decent actor, but all of her punchlines just were not hitting. Uh, the storyline with the cancer was a bit odd, in my opinion. Then they they made it seem like she sacrificed herself. So I think Marvel is is falling to the wayside. I wouldn't even recommend seeing this movie. I give it a three out of ten. Uh, I think that the uh, downfall of Marvel actually started with Spider-Man No Way Home, with the uh, with the costume, with Spider-Man's costume. That's when I was like, man, they're really – and other than that, the movie was phenomenal. But I was yep. nitpicking because Spider-Man's my favorite superhero all t- of all time. And here his outfit looks so CGI throughout the entire movie. The very beginning of the movie where he you know, flies up in the air with uh, Zendaya um, just – a couple of scenes there, I was like, what the heck is going on? Looks kind of cheesy. But overall, great movie. But that was when I first realized, hey, Marvel's on the downslide. They are going downhill. And uh, they're going to have to find a way to uh, redeem themselves. Yeah. But And then you have, I mean, with Marvel going on the downslide, like you just said, you would think DC would capitalize. But the next Batman movie doesn't come out until 2025. So we're waiting three years for a new Batman movie while DC is on the downslide. Then in 2025, which are the next couple of decent Marvel movies, I guess, two Avengers in the same year. I think 
I think there's just too big of a gap between these movies, unless Spider-Man comes out sometime in between that we don't know about. But I don't know. I, I think that superhero movies in general are just not hitting as as uh, the same as they used to. And I think a lot of people share that same sentiment because the serious factor has been taken out of these movies besides the Batman. I thought the Batman was great, but we're not going to see another one till 2025 at the earliest. Yeah. I think maybe Joker might be something you might want to check out when they come it's out with the next Joker. Oh, it's a Joker musical. Joker 2 is a musical. Okay. Well, that stinks because Joker, the first one was phenomenal right. and I enjoyed it. it was a little, what's that? It was great. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was a little gruesome, but I thought the storyline was awesome. Uh, it finally gave the background to who Joker was and why he's the way he is. Uh, and I really enjoyed that one. But hey, another thing that's going to try to redeem itself is the Manti Teo story as Netflix has announced that they're going to release a documentary called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. In 2012, you guys probably recall Manti Teo, the guy, the linebacker for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team that had a girlfriend that allegedly died, what, just before the national championship yep. or around that time. And uh, he was distraught. Of course, his girlfriend died, but he never once met this girl, never once FaceTimed this girl. They were just dating through, you know, online. And come to find out it was all a hoax. She was fake. Uh, it was a person running a fake account toying with Manti Teo. And I don't know if they ever found the person or what. But anyways, the alleged girlfriend had died. Manti Teo was distraught. It was a huge storyline all over the place because they didn't realize it was a hoax until a couple of days later. And uh, now they're bringing up a documentary. Not only are they going to have a documentary on Netflix about the story, Manti Teo is actually starring in this documentary. <laughs> Dude, I think Manti Teo has taken this too far. I don't think Manti Teo was lied to by someone on the internet that he believed to be his girlfriend. I think he was just trying to pull the emotional string going into that national championship in 2012, which they was that the one that they played FSU in 2012. I don't remember, but I, I don't think it was the national championship at that time. I think it was just the college football something. I forgot, but there were no playoffs back then. There was it was the national championship, but there was no playoffs to get in. It was just the top two teams. But I don't think any of this is real, and I think Manti Teo has been caught in a lie for the last ten years. And he's finally trying to put that lie to bed here with this documentary, maybe revealing that it was all a farce like everyone believed in the first place. Because I don't know how you get stuck into an internet relationship. Whenever he was in college, he was one of the best linebackers in all of college. You would think maybe he'd have a girlfriend on the Notre Dame campus just based off of his personality or, or just his appearance alone because he was a star linebacker. Yeah, he was a star linebacker. He's a first-round draft pick. He sucked in the NFL, and I think – his downfall was lying about this girlfriend just trying to get a better draft selection here. I don't think any of this is real, but I'm definitely going to tune into the documentary. I think we've got another uh, – what, what was that documentary in 2020 about the Lions? The Lion King, right? Tiger King. I don't know. Tiger oh, King. Tiger King. I think this is going to captivate audiences again like the Tiger King did in 2020. I think this is just another stupid documentary. And – Manti Teo offering to play himself in a documentary yeah. or whatever he's going to do is, is I don't just know if the, he's uh, starring. I don't know if he's icing on the cake. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It comes out August 16th, so just around the corner. Um, this is going to be something I'll have to watch out, and I might give out a review to you guys. All of you tuned in right now on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and or YouTube. But anyways, uh, that comes out August 16th, Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. I'm Manti Tail. We'll wrap up the show here with big news for myself. 
Um, and I know that you guys hopefully have stayed tuned in for this entire portion of the show. But I'll be uh, helping out with Buccaneer coverage, Tampa Bay Buccaneer coverage at 953WDAE, providing uh, live coverage of the games with tweets. I'll be getting digital content, creating digital content, getting post-game interviews with players in the locker room and whatnot on Twitter for 953WDAE throughout this football season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Going to be a lot of fun. Follow me at the Chris Mathis on Twitter, at Instagram, the Chris Mathis. And, of course, follow the station page, 953WDAE as well. Great opportunity. I'm very excited for that. And just uh, wanted to plug that to you guys and tell you guys how excited I am for this opportunity to be able to do something like this, something I've dreamed of since we were playing backyard football. And this is a great step in the right direction, Spence. Yeah, and I mean, if, if I were you and I'm a listener, I'm tuning into these interviews that Chris is going to be providing because I'm going to be behind the scenes feeding Chris some uh, impractical joker type questions for these yeah. NFL players. So this is going to be some great interviews, some great content coming out on any social media platform. We've got Twitter, we've got YouTube, we've got TikTok. It's all going to be coming to a to a mobile device near you on the little screen, the small screen as they call it. But be tuned in, watch the Chris Mathis career arc. His villain origin story is coming up. Just wait and tune in and just continue to listen to the Chris Mathis podcast on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Music. Uh, watch us on TikTok at TCM underscore pod. Follow our Twitter account. I mean, you've got all these ventures to watch us and watch Chris's interviews that he's going to be providing this upcoming season and follow his live tweets of NFL games. It's going to be a great of the Buccaneers. time. Bingo. That's it for the Chris Mathis podcast.